hope you are as well. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of John. John chapter 14 through 16 is where we're going to land. In fact, most of the passages this morning are in the, in the gospel of John. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover and, and, and uh, a lot of insight, I believe, that the Lord wants to deposit in our hearts. So we started four or three weeks ago in this series, Power Filled. We've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, that he's a person, not a thing or a vapor or a force, that the Holy Spirit is a person and as such we can have relationship with him. We talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit, that, that Jesus promised that we would receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised in the Old Testament and the New Testament by the Father and by Jesus himself. Uh, and then we talked last week about the power, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And we talked a little bit about what that power looks like and what it, what it means to be filled with power and walk with, with him. Today we're going to shift gears a little bit. Today I want to start a, a series of messages that will specifically look into and, 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 under, and seek to understand more the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. There are, there are specific places and specific roles that he fulfills in our lives and in the church, and it's important that we understand what they are. And, and you might be able to list off even your own mind right now what some of those names, some of those distinctives about who he is, right? We have the comforter, the counselor, the teacher, uh, all of these things about who the Holy Spirit is. Today, I want to speak about the Holy Spirit as our helper. The Holy Spirit as our, our helper. Maybe you in your mind just said, helper? Really? Did you just say helper? Yes, our helper. Our culture and our society has some misconceptions about help. See, things like this. If I ask for help, I sound weak. If I ask for help, I become a burden to other people. If I ask for help, I sound needy. If I ask for help, I reveal my incompetence. People will know that I'm not good at doing something, so, so I don't ask for help to try and cover that up. If I, if I ask, ask for help, I might be rejected. I might get a no. Hey, can you help me with this? Nope, sorry, right? If you've ever need to, needed to move a refrigerator, you've, right, you've met this. Uh, where's all my friends all of a sudden? If I ask for help, I'm relinquishing control to someone else. If I ask for help, I will end up owing someone. And so I'd rather not ask for help because there's strings attached and I don't want to owe anyone anything. Am I right? These are just a few of the misconceptions. In fact, in, in the business world, uh, there's more and more articles and studies that are being done that are, are showing the exact opposite, that help and asking for help is actually a sign of strength. That strong people, successful people, determined people, driven people ask for help. That they, they, they don't come from a place of pride and say, I'll get this all figured out. That asking for help is actually of benefit to us. But because of those misconceptions, we tend to avoid asking for help. Does, does anyone identify with that? Would you, would you say, yeah, I, I've been at that place. I, I, I get it. I get this so much. Oh, I'll just, I'll just, I don't want to bother anyone. Oh, it's just a small thing. I can, I can handle it. Yet, on the inside, there's just this turmoil. Why is it important to address this misconception before we jump into understanding the Holy Spirit as our helper? Well, here's why. What we learn in the world around us from the time that we're born as we grow up in our homes, as our brains are developed and our, our neuro, neuro pathways are, are, are formed, those things that we learn and the way that we're shaped in our culture is what we bring to our relationship with God. So, so my life and the things that, that are the norm, the pattern for my life end up being overlaid over my relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you found that to be true? That I come to the church, I come to the Lord, I come to my relationship with him, and, and the, the things of the world just go, well, I've, I've seen this before, I know what to expect, I know what this is. And so, in, specifically in relation to help, we'll do this, we'll say, Lord, I don't want to ask God for help, 
I don't want to ask him for help. I don't want to bother him. I don't want to bother God. I should be stronger than this. I should be able to handle this. Or maybe at least not in the, the, big, the little things. I'll, I'll ask God for help, right, for the big things. Or I'll, like it's a, there's a help savings account, right? Tuck it away for a needy day or rainy day. And now all of a sudden, okay, now I've got something big. So God, I haven't asked you for anything for 10 years, but now I've got this major thing going on in my life. Could you imagine if your kids were that way with you? It would break your heart. If my kids never asked me for anything, never asked me for help, thinking that if they asked too much that I would stop helping them. As a dad, that would crush me, that would break my heart. We don't ask God for help because we feel like we, we would disappoint him. That somehow he would be disappointed if we asked him for help. Somehow if, if, if I was asking for help, it means I didn't figure it out on my own and therefore he would be disappointed with me. Maybe we just don't want to sound weak. God, I've got this. I can do this. Jesus says, you need to rely on me. You need to lean on me. So before we can understand the Holy Spirit's role as our helper, we need to adjust our thinking. We need to make an adjustment, or rather, we need to ask God to help adjust our thinking. How about that? He needs to adjust our thinking so that we can fully embrace him as our helper. So I know that one of the places where we see this the most often, especially with men, is in regards to asking for directions, right? Who saw that coming? You're like, yeah, right? It's, it's the, the age-old guy driving somewhere. I know where I'm going. We should stop and ask for directions. No, no, no. Babe, I got this. I got this. I remember driving down this road before. I was here 20 years ago. Right? How much could it have changed? I've got this. We'll find it sooner. We're going to find it. And then after minutes or hours of driving around, you finally stop and ask for directions. And you get the, I told you so. Right? And, it's, and maybe it's, a, it, it, it's something that the, the culture has laid on men. And, but I find it to be true in my life. I love GPS. I think GPS is amazing. Uh, in fact, I... Maybe you used to have one of these. I have a picture. There should be a picture of one of those. You guys ever have one of those? Yeah, I just took you guys back 20 years right there. Thomas Guide, you look it up, you look up the grid, and then you have to flip, and it was always right on the seat next to you, right? And you're like, where do I have to go? And, and you know, by the way, they're not in business anymore, at least not the way they used to be. They got acquired, and... Uh, they didn't keep up with the times. Or maybe you've been on a road trip before and you used to go to the AAA and you would get a, a triptych. Anyone do a triptych? And it's like, you know, this is pre-internet, so you wanted to know where to stop along the way. And they would generate this whole, like, spiral-bound map thing that, like, it would be by, by the exit. Or maybe you had something like this. Uh, Tom had this in his, his car because he's a road trip guy. Next exit, you can flip through this and kind of look... All throughout the country, what's coming up, what's at, at every numbered exit around the country. You can see what kind of food's there, what kind of gas station is there, right? Um, all these different tools that we use. But of course, now it's all right here, right? That's pretty amazing, the biggest response I've had today. <laughs> and it's about GPS. Um, <laughs> right? It used to be you have to buy a Garmin or a Magellan or something, and now it's just all right on your phone. How many of you have a mount on your dash for your phone that you can just pop it in, right? Super easy. Plug it in. Take phone calls. No, you're not supposed to take phone calls. Um, get directions on the fly. And the great thing is, is if you make a wrong turn, it adjusts. We were driving somewhere the other day. We were on the 91 freeway, and I was behind a truck, and I knew my exit was coming up. And, and it was like there was a, an, an off-ramp to another freeway, and then our exit, I ended up on the other freeway. But I didn't stress out, and I didn't have to stop and ask for directions because the GPS just said, recalculating. 
right? Adjusted my arrival time and the whole deal, and the next thing, I was at my location. I love GPS. I love the turn-by-turn directions. It's really cool. I think you can see where I'm going with this. The Holy Spirit wants to bring constant direction and help to your life. That he is always right there. It says he never leaves us. That his presence is always with us. And as such, because he is so close, because he is so near, as we go through every day of our lives, he wants to be better than the Google Maps app on your phone. He wants to be more accurate and closer and more relevant than anything like this. That in every circumstance, in every situation, every day, that he wants to help us find our way. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? Doesn't that sound like a good deal? All right, good. Just checking. Let's take a look at a couple of passages in Scripture that highlight this. We're going to be in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. The verses, the passages are going to be, they're in the, uh, in the digital bulletin on the Bible app, if you want to look them up there, as well as all of the points from the, sermons, the, the message this morning uh, are also on the app. The verses will also be up on the screen if you want to follow along there. So John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Say, another helper. To be with you for how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a great passage of scripture. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and they're a little bit freaked out about the fact that he's telling them he's going to leave. And he says, listen, if you love me, you're going to do the things that I've taught you to do. You're going to follow the things that I've instructed you, and you're going to walk in those ways. But, but, but you're not on your own. When I get to my father, I'm going to give you another helper. What does that imply? That Jesus was our first helper. And you're going to see all through the message this morning that the function of, of the Holy Spirit and the role that Jesus plays are so intricately, inter, intricately, thank you, can't even say it, intricately intertwined that sometimes you can't separate them and, and that they're the same words that are used to describe both Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I will send you from the Father the spirit of truth. Everyone say truth. Say it again like you mean it. Truth. We're going to talk a lot about truth today. I'm going to send you another helper, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you, those of you who have said yes to Jesus, made him Lord of your life, surrendered your life to him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He is both with you, he is around you, he is present, but he is also in you. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, next chapter. John chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says this. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then John chapter 16, we're going to read a longer portion here of scripture. John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15, starting in verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And, when, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The spirit of truth. The connection here is clear that Jesus in each one of these passages talks about the Holy Spirit as our helper and then immediately follows up with the spirit of truth. Helper, truth. Helper, truth. Helper, truth. They are connected. Right? And we can't separate those things. So we have to touch base. We have to talk for a minute about why this is an important connection for us. Why is the Holy Spirit our helper, the spirit of truth? And why should we pay attention to it? Well, truth, truth's an interesting word. It's another one of those words in our culture that it's become a little ambiguous. In fact, it's a, it's a, it's a point of great debate in the world around us. Let me just say this. God cares a great deal about truth. Would you agree that truth is important to God, and we're not just talking about don't tell a lie. We're talking about God's truth, the truth about who he is, the truth about why Jesus came to earth, the truth about heaven and hell, the truth about eternity, the truth about coming to know the Father through Jesus Christ. This is the truth that Jesus speaks of. God cares a great deal about truth. And, and one of the reasons we know this is that all through Scripture, one of the things that Satan does, our enemy, what he does is he attacks truth. He tries to distort and twist it. In the Garden of Eden, the very first encounter between man and the serpent. In fact, it's Eve, the woman, who he comes to and he says, did God really say? Satan says that to her. And he questions the truth of God. And he's been doing the same thing ever since. He's not very creative. In fact, he's not creative at all. And so that's the best he's got. All he can do is question truth. So there is, it's not a surprise that in the world that we live in, that truth is under attack. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this of Satan in identifying him, that he is a liar, and not only that, he is the father of lies. It's his nature. It's his character. On the, on the contrast is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are absolute truth. And just, just so that we're clear about this, that God and Satan are not equal opposites. It's not like yin and yang, right? That Satan is a created being and God is the creator and he is subject. He is beneath, he is under the authority of the Father. But he still seeks to undermine both the truth of the Father and the truth as we understand it. So we have in our culture, in our society, this debate if you're on a college campus, it's probably a conversation you've had many times. We talk about absolute truth and relative truth. Absolute truth being this, that there is one truth, and his name is Jesus. There is one truth that exists in the Holy Trinity. There is one truth, and it is the word of God that proceeds from his very mouth to our hearts and minds. There's no debate. There's no getting around it. It is absolute. It does not change. But then there's relative truth. And that's the brand of truth that our world has bought into. Relative truth says this. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Whatever you decide it is. Whatever works for you. That your truth is your truth. And what might be true for you isn't true for me. 
Now, we're, t- we're not talking about, uh, is it true that you live on this street? We don't all live on the same street, right? We're talking in, in a larger sense. That truth as it exists, as it flows from the heart of God, is absolute, and it cannot change. In fact, if there is no absolute truth, truth we have no, absolutely no basis for morality. There is no basis for good and bad or good and evil if there's no truth. There can't be. It's one of the greatest apologists use this in their, in their arguments to defend those who would say that truth is relative. Because as you draw the line back to its logical conclusion, it just unravels that morality, as the world would say, righteousness, as we would say, is founded, its very foundation is absolute truth. When, when you ask people, why did Jesus come to earth? Probably the number one answer that people say is to save people from their sin. And while that is technically true, it's not the answer that Jesus gave regarding his purpose. In John chapter 18, verse 36 through 38, we find Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. And he's being interrogated and questioned about who he is. You know, the crowd is there and the Pharisees and the teachers are saying, you know, kill him, crucify him. And Pilate's the one who has the say-so. Now, he's not attached emotionally at all to the religion of the, of the Jews. He doesn't care about that. He's more existential. I can't speak this morning. He's just got this bigger view. He's a Roman. The world is his. And here's this man he's having a conversation with. And I guarantee you, Pilate's never talked to someone like Jesus before. And so this dialogue ensues between the two of them. Jesus, in answering a question about his deity, says to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Listen to this. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, one of some of the most poignant words in all of scripture, what is truth. And the same question that Pilate asked 2,000 years ago is the same question that is still being debated in the halls of academia in our nation, on the internet, on Facebook, and all over the place. What is truth? And we're grappling and trying to understand what is truth? Jesus says, I am truth. For this purpose I came. It's for this reason that I came. To testify to the truth. Truth is important to God. Truth is why Jesus came, why he was born, why he lived his life, why he ministered, why he died and rose again. So that when we embrace and submit ourselves to the truth of who he is, we are saved. That is the truth. So with that in mind, That's a huge setup for the next four points. With that in mind, let's talk about the Holy Spirit as our helper. How does the Holy Spirit help us? First is this, the Holy Spirit helps us by convicting us with the truth. And maybe your first response is, that doesn't sound very helpful. I don't want to be convicted, really? Now, does does the Holy Spirit want to help us in our day-to-day lives Absolutely. God cares about every detail. Jesus talked about that extensively. But the details of our lives are affected by what we believe. Not the other way around. The details of my life are affected by what I believe. So if I believe a lie, the details of my life will be a mess. You agree with that? I hope so. 
So many people are just waiting for God to prove himself to them by meeting like the little needs in their lives. And the truth is that they're making mistakes based on their way of understanding and their way of thinking. And God's going, I can't, I can't move in that because I don't want to confirm or affirm something that's not true about who I am. The least loving thing that God could do for his children is just give them what they want. And if you have kids, you know that's true. Or you learned that lesson the hard way. Right? So the Holy Spirit convicts us with the truth. Back in John chapter 16, verse 9, he says, testifies to the truth concerning sin because they do not believe in me. To make it very clear that, that God's desire is that no one should perish. That there is not a single part of God's heart that desires that anyone would spend eternity separated from him. That the father's heart is for his children and his desire is that every single person would come to know him and his saving love and grace. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Holy Spirit serves to convict the sinner of his or her sin. Why? So that we would turn to God and repent. See, if I'm not convicted, I don't know that I have a problem. Paul talks about this in Romans in regards to the law. How before the law, I didn't know that I was a sinner. Because there was nothing to show me that I was a sinner. I was just living my life. But now all of a sudden, as the law is presented for, in Paul's case, for us, it's Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he brings conviction that something inside of us just goes, huh, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. There's something more. I'm doing all of these things, and, and I just don't think this is, this is for me. I think there's something better. I think there's something more. I think there's a different direction that God wants me to go. And it is the Holy Spirit bringing conviction in the heart of the sinner. He does the same for those who've given their lives to Jesus, by the way. Because as long as we're in this world, we're struggling and we're grappling with sin. And while we said yes to Jesus and while we stand perfected before him and righteous before him, there's still a process and there's still choices that we make every single day. How many of you sinned this week? Right? Now, it might be that you were like, ah, I, didn't, I didn't want to. How many of you walked away from a situation realizing, shoot, that was sin. My attitude, that was sin. The way I talked to my wife, I didn't honor my wife. That was sinful. And we said, oh, it's easier just to ignore it. We can't ignore it because the Holy Spirit starts just poking us in the chest. I'm going to pick on my kids. And starts going, that thing right there, that, that, that. <laughs> He's tough. He can take it. And we can't ignore it because the Holy Spirit is present. He's with us and he's in us. And so he convicts us of our sin. But he convicts us according to the truth. He convicts us with the truth. And so as we know the word of God, as we study the word of God, as we, we know this truth and make it a part of our lives, we can start aligning our lives and saying, Lord, that is not in line with your heart for me. We'll make decisions or say things or go places or act certain ways. And God says, that is not truth. And you'll feel that, that, that pinch, that sting, that pressure inside that says, no, that's not the way I've called you to live. I want to tie a, a couple of passages together so we can really grasp this. I really feel like if nothing else, if we get this this morning, it, it, it's a big deal. Again, speaking to the unity of the Spirit and of Jesus Christ. How they function together. That it's not like they're, they're you know, 
team A and team B. You know what I'm saying? They're one team. They're unity. There's absolute unity in the spirit. So let me read some passages, and as I do, you'll see the connects. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We've talked about this already in this series. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, we're most used to talking talking about Jesus as Lord. Am I right? We refer to him... We say that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. But now the Lord is spirit. They are one. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We touched on the fact that, that the spirit of God is everywhere. Why isn't there freedom anywhere? Why do people still struggle with bondage? Well, it's not that God forces himself on us. He makes freedom available, and as we surrender our lives to him and say, Lord, would you, I invite you to be Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, bring more conviction. I surrender to you. We start seeing freedom in in greater and greater degrees in our lives. All right, John chapter 14, verse 6. So remember, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the truth and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus spoke of himself, first person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus calls himself the truth. And in fact, John, John majors on truth. You read the Gospel of John from the very first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God and all the way through. That's why we're focusing on John so much today. I am the way, the truth. So he calls himself the truth. Now remember, he stood in front of Pilate and he said, for this purpose I came. To do what? To testify to the truth. So basically what he was saying, I came to testify about myself. Right? To testify about myself. John chapter 8. 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, Jesus himself, we read before, referred to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. You see how the the two are one and they can't be separated. Truth is a big deal to God. And not that we would acknowledge, oh God, you are truth, you are truth embodied, that it would be some kind of academic exercise, that we would own that. If the Spirit of God lives in me, that means that the truth of God resides in me. And if the Word of God is truth, and as we talked about last week in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. They just start working together and they're intertwined in our lives. So how is it so much that in the church we separate it? And I have my time in the word and I have my time with the Holy Spirit. I have my time in worship. They are all connected. And if we give God the room and the place in our lives to move, he will. He will. He said he would to move on. He would convict us concerning the true, uh, concerning sin. He would convict us, or he would, rather, he would speak to the truth concerning judgment in verse 11. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, I'm sorry, I jumped over one. Concerning righteousness in verse 10. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What's Jesus saying? I've been with you. He's speaking to his disciples. You've seen me. You can see me right now. I'm in the flesh. But I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with you anymore. And it's to your advantage that I go. Why? Because I'll send the helper, the spirit of truth. What did Jesus do in his ministry, though? He came and he taught a new kind of teaching. He brought a new kind of word. After, Before he could take up his rightful place at the right hand of the Father which, by the way, that is where he intercedes for us. Hebrews talks about him making intercession for us. 
while he was here on earth, he brought a new light and understanding. He taught a new way. And what he did is this. He completed the Old Testament law. His words, not mine. And he taught this. He taught that righteousness and the kingdom of God are supreme. He set new standards for life and family and living and marriage and everything. He basically says to the people, well, not basically, he does say to them, all of these rules and all of these laws, if you will do two things, if you will love God and love people, you don't need all of that anymore. If you will embrace the truth of God's absolute love, his unconditional agape love, and if you will then pass that on to other people and live that way in regards to other people, you don't need the law. That's truth. And so he came and he preached righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, we find the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets up, it's like his inaugural address. And he's saying, listen, you've heard it said. And you've heard it taught this way, but I'm telling you, as one who testifies to the truth, to the kingdom of God, this is the standard that I'm setting. And he didn't lower the bar, he raised it. He raised it. The Holy Spirit continues that work. That in a world where morality and righteousness is on this decline, that as the church, as the body of Christ, as his sons and daughters, that righteousness in our lives and in our mouths would be on the increase. How we live, but even how we address the world around us, that it would be about righteousness and that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. He will, he will move regarding righteousness in the world around us, first with us and then the world around us. And then lastly in, in, in this point, concerning judgment. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What is he saying? Judgment's already been passed for Satan. And while this is his dominion, this is his domain, it's coming to an end. Jesus will return. He will come back. He is coming back for his church. And so the battle that we're fighting is not one about winning the war. The war has been won. Now we're just in a battle to take people with us. That's the fight. To see people come to know him. He is a defeated foe. And so he, he brings revelation to that truth in our lives. I don't know about you, but there's days where I forget that. I forget that, and I feel like I'm on the losing side. The Holy Spirit brings conviction concerning judgment. and reminds me, don't worry about it. He's a defeated foe. Secondly, the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. He teaches us the truth. You don't know what you don't know. I don't know if you knew that. It's called ignorance. When you say to someone, well, you're so ignorant, what you're saying is that you don't know something. And they go, yeah, I don't know that. And it's true. If you don't know something, you don't know it. Am I right? And the way to overcome that is by learning, by being taught. We discovered recently uh, this thing called Khan Academy. I don't know if you've seen this online. There's an app. It's awesome. Whatever subject in school that you need to, maybe your kids are struggling in a, in a certain subject, or maybe you just want to brush up. Maybe you're, you're like, hey, I want to I learn Common Core math. Said no one ever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. You hop on Khan Academy and it has it broken down by grade levels and subjects and, and all of these videos and he explains things really well. And you can go on and, and I made the mistake though of signing up. Like it's all free, but I, I put my email address and now I get these emails like every day. Do you want to keep learning? What do you want to learn next? And it's like a challenge the way they write it. Like, do you want to stay dumb or do you want to get smarter? <laughs> Delete. Um, <laughs> You overcome ignorance by being taught. 
by educating yourself or allowing others to speak into your life. Teaching was an important part of Jesus' ministry, wasn't it? That he went into the synagogues and he went into the, 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 the neighborhoods and into the fields around communities and he would teach people. In fact, when he was 12 years old, we find Jesus in the temple. And what's he doing at 12? He's teaching and, and the, the, the teachers are going, this kid is like no kid we've ever come across. He was a teacher, and his goal, his desire, was to teach people about the truth. That they would not be ignorant of the truth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, we have the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me stop there for a second. We've done that really well as a Western church. And we've made evangelism one of our chief goals. To go into all the world, to preach the gospel. We found more uh, newer and more newer. We found newer and more creative ways of, of preaching the gospel. And literally... Tens of millions of people have said yes to Jesus. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But we've overemphasized evangelism and underemphasized the next part. Baptizing them and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is Jesus saying? You can't just get them saved. It's not about raising your hand and praying a prayer or even being baptized in water, as important that is, as it is. Because then you just have someone who's saved but still ignorant. You have to teach them what I've taught you and commanded you, the things that I've shared with you. And this is where the Holy Spirit, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and he wants to teach us. And he says, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Is Jesus here? The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. So how is Jesus here? Because the spirit of truth is here. And because he is here, he can teach us. See, Jesus was called teacher, but the Holy Spirit is also called a teacher. Again, we see this incredible Unity between the Son and the Spirit. We got to go last week to a track meet, middle school track meet. Grace is running in track, and it's awesome. She's doing shot put, and she, uh, she ran the 800 meters. And if you know anything about track and field, 800 meters is one of those grueling, I mean, you're just, the goal is to sprint two laps around that track. And I'm like, yeah, exactly, no way. Um, and she, and, and running's not her favorite thing either. I'm like, but she is out there and she is giving it her all. Well, I love watching the, the relay races um, because I love the teamwork that exists. And you watch the critical point in those relay races isn't, it's not just how fast you can run, but it's actually getting the baton passed from one person to the other, Right? And, and it was funny to watch. Of course, they're middle schoolers, and, and it's not like they have this great you know, track program. Like everyone who shows up goes out and participates. And so you've got some kids who are like incredible athletes, and other kids are just having fun. And then maybe some who are not even having fun anymore. Um, <laughs> and so you watch, you watch these relays, the 4 by 100 and a couple of kids are just... They're motoring. I mean, they just take off and they're down the, down the track and then they get to the handoff and, and things kind of just get a little sideways. And, you know, because you're supposed to start running and you're supposed to look backward, you're supposed to keep forward and it's the, the responsibility of the person passing the baton to smack it into your hand and not like gently, you're supposed to like put it, not that I ever ran relays at all, but I've heard. Um, and then you grab that baton and you keep going and that handoff can really affect the outcome of the race. Between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there was a perfect handoff. That Jesus left at just the right time, and as he left, the Holy Spirit came and continued the work to a greater degree 
than Jesus ever did. And when Jesus says, you will do the things I've done, and even more, not because we're awesome, but because we have the Holy Spirit in us. John 14, 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to remembrance all that I I have said. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us the truth. He wants to teach us the truth. Third is this. He wants to remind us of the truth. I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful and stubborn. It's not a good combination. And I'll learn something one day and forget it the next. And some people can see it once and they've got it. They've got it. There's Tyler. Tyler shared something with me this morning. Um, he's like, yeah, my, my mind's like an Etch-a-Sketch. I love this. He's all, man, I do all these great drawings, and he's like, the first time my head gets rattled a bit, it's all gone, right? <laughs> Told you I was going to steal that. It's great. We're like Etch-a-Sketches. We learn stuff, and sometimes it sticks, and sometimes we've got to go back and learn it again and learn it again. How many times have you said this? I thought I, I had this down. I thought I learned this. Or maybe, right, teachers in the house were like, yep. <laughs> Seen that for years and years and years. How often we've been taught them something and it doesn't stick. God's word is the same way. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to teach you, but I'm not going to just teach you. I'm actually going to remind you of what you've learned. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I'm going to teach you and I'm going to remind you daily. Same verse that we just read. He says, I'm going to teach you. He will teach you in John 14, 25 and 26. And I love that. And bring to remembrance all that I have said. That he will do both of those. By the way, you don't have a conscience. Now, psychologists might disagree with me and... But just for the sake of our message, you don't have a a conscience. What you have is the Holy Spirit. See, because there's nothing righteous about our lives, and I don't know truth from a hole in the ground on my own. But because of the Holy Spirit, my spirit, which the Bible says communes with the Holy Spirit, is convicted in regards to truth and is taught in regards to truth. And is reminded in regards to truth. That means as I go through my day and I come across a decision that I have to make, something that I have to do, and I feel that tugging inside, it's not your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit of God reminding you that you're starting to pull away from God's truth and that it's time to realign and get back to where you need to be that he will remind us in the moment. He wants us to overcome and win the battle for truth. And then finally this, he guides us according to the truth. This is the ideal. This is what we're after. That I allow the Holy Spirit to guide me in every part of my life every day. That my life, my walk with the Lord and my, my conforming to the image of Christ progresses at such a pace that, that all I need is just simply the guiding, that I'm hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit say this way, no, that way, no, talk to that person, no, not yet, and that it's in the moment. The psalmist writes in Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. That the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. He wants to guide you according to the truth. According to the truth. Not according to what you think is your best idea. You see the surrender that comes. Lord, I submit myself to your truth. And then Holy Spirit, would you guide me in that truth? Truth in my heart and mind. Truth in my home. In my marriage, my family, my kids, truth in my workplace. Well, Pastor Barry, I work in a secular environment. <laughs> absolute truth is absolute truth. 
truth exists. Maybe you're the truth in that environment. Don't, don't be the person who compromises because everyone else is doing it. Stand for what is true. That's not easy. You have a helper. Truth in my finances. Truth in my choices. How about this one? Truth in my entertainment. Truth in everything that the Holy Spirit wants to guide us. Can we stand together? So now what? Because that, that was, I know, it was a bit of a drink out of the fire hose. <laughs> now what? I believe that the, really the question you have to ask yourself before you can take even a next step is you have to determine in your own heart and answer in your own life where you stand in regards to truth. Where you stand in regards to who Jesus is, the, tr- the, 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 the word of truth, where you stand in regards to the spirit of truth and how you respond. How do you respond to his conviction? How do you respond to his teaching? How do you respond to when he reminds you and you go, no, 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 not that. How do you respond as he tries to guide you each day? Allow him to take the lead. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful this morning that you don't leave us to our own devices. That you know us so well. You fashioned us and you made us and you know us better than we know ourselves. And at no point did you say, I'll just let you figure it out on your own. Good luck with that. And Lord, at the same time, your, your heart for us is that we wouldn't be on the other side saying, God, I got this. Lord, that we would meet. Even as Abby prayed before at the end of worship, that we would make a move towards you as you make a move towards us. And that we would meet in that place and that Holy Spirit, you would have the place in our lives to speak to us regarding truth. And that we would grow and walk in obedience to all that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.